things that the masters have left us. I want to read a section from Master Kripal's great talk, How I Met My Master, in which, during which he quotes extensively from the Gospel according to St. John. Uh, I was present when this talk was given. I was actually sitting on the floor about three feet in front of them because I was taping I was running the tape recorder that night and he quoted when he quotes from the Gospel of John he goes into a kind of a quote mode but he had no notes and he had no Bible with him he was quoting strictly from memory and you will note there are long sections from the Farewell Discourses, chapters, uh, I think it's 13, 14, 15, 14, 15, 16, I think, is where he's quoting from, different, different sections in there. Anyway, it's a curious juxtaposition, what he is saying, the way in which he uses an incident from his own life and plays that off against quotes from the Gospel of John which were made by Jesus the night before he left. It's curious but I think it's extremely significant. So Master says this was of course given he's talking here in January 1964. All Masters whenever they came said the same thing. The tenth Guru of the Sikh said Hear ye all, I tell you the truth. Irrespective of whether you belong to one religion or the other, that makes no difference. Through love alone you can know God. All others also said the same thing. Those who do not know love cannot know God. Christ said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, 
but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you again. If two men, four men, love the same man, that is a point for consideration. True love is where there is no question of competition. When there are two lovers of the same master, they compete. One says, I should be in front, and the other says, I should be in front. But love knows no duality, no competition, no anger, and no coming to the front. Just judge your love for the master. Why does all this conflict remain among the followers? Because they have not got real love, I tell you. If they've got real love, love knows no competition. Each one will be happy the more he can put his shoulders to the wheel of the same cause. Christ said further, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace will remain with you forever. So as I told you, love knows no competition. When two followers of the same master do not agree, one says, I am in the forefront, and the other says, I am in the forefront. What is the result? To me, apparently, such a follower has no love for the master, true love. He has love for the master for selfish motives. He wants to come near to him, to the forefront of him. So love is the remedy for all things. Love and all things shall be added unto you. That's the pity. We don't love. And then Christ said, As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. He loved his Master, his God. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. There we are wanting, I tell you. I have been pressing this point very much ever since I've come. This is the only remedy for all our ills. If one man goes ahead, it is his grace. In the beginning, I used to put in more time. I was transferred to Rawalpindi. The first day I was there, everybody knew it. A follower of the Master. They were saying this and that thing. It even came to be known to Bibi Hardevi, who is sitting here. She never knew me before that. People said, well, he's here. He's a very great follower of the Master. She said, what greatness lies in him? He puts in six hours a day in meditation. She said, all right, if he puts that in, then I'll put in six, seven hours, and then I'll meet him. Such like competition is good. You see, we want to eclipse others. We want to eclipse others by placing ourselves in the front. So she did not come to see me, I tell you, and Master was laughing very hard throughout this, by the way. 
for months on end. When she put in six or seven hours a day, then she, along with her husband, came to see me. And only when? When my son died. I was quite jolly and the doctor came in the night. He gave my son this and that thing. I told him, all right, give him whatever you wish. He has to go. Let him finish his give and take. At about midnight, he took the breath of death. He had a long period of vomiting and became cold. I had sent for the doctor and when he came, he said, I'll give him some medicine and he'll be all right. But in the morning, my son was quite ready to go. The doctor said, oh, he now looks better all of a sudden. I said, wait outside, he's just going. So I looked at him and he passed away. At that time, everyone came to see me. I'm relating this to show how this family, Taiji and her husband, came in contact with me. She and her husband also met me and they were wonderstruck. Your son has died and you're quite jolly. It's not usual not to worry and to be like that. A lot of people came to visit and they said somebody in the Sikh temple had said that here's a true Sikh coming up. He's a credit to our religion. And her husband heard about it and thought he must be a follower of my master. He never knew me before. He went and inquired about it and it was so. He told them, look here, he's my brother who has been going and sitting at the feet of my master. So they came to pay me their condolences and they were wonderstruck. What did I do? I gave them tea and this and that thing. So such like competition is good. Now, what one man does, others reflect on it. Put your shoulders to the wheel. The more one progresses, the better. Why are there all these conflicts? Because we do not love the Master, truly speaking. If anybody has become the beloved of the Master, it's good. You should also become the beloved. See how the other one has become the beloved. Why does the Master love him? There must be a reason for it. Such like love knows no competition, no saying, why has the other one gone forward? Quietly and unknowingly, they are going on doing it. They won't show what they are doing. They'll go on and let others see for themselves. These are the things that are required. Christ said, love one another as I loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man may lay down his life, love knows service and sacrifice, for his friends. What did Christ say, do you know? Ye are my friends. He did not want to make us slaves. Masters never make you a slave. The beauty of our master was that he addressed us very respectfully, very lovingly. A master never makes slaves of you, he makes you friends. And why? If you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you my friends, for all things I have known of my Father I have made known to you. Do you follow? There are some so-called masters, I tell you, who treat others like they're slaves, bought slaves. They make the best use of them. And I tell you, masters' conditions are very strong. 
Anyone who wants to take the service of his other disciple mates without the permission of the master, the master turns away his face from him. We consider it jolly. Oh, everybody now loves me. He serves me. He gives me sacrifices. He gives me so many boons and donations. We shouldn't. Whenever you have to compare, make the comparison that if one man does more, you will do still more. If he does, say, four hours of meditation, you put in five hours. That's a good competition, is it not? But that we do not do. That's a pity. And this is the basic cause of all conflicts, of all differences of opinion. Formations are made when we are wanting in love, I tell you honestly. Now, there are a number of points in that particular section that deserve some attention. And um, First is the, the juxtaposition of things that I mentioned before. Now, this was January 1964. Master Kripal was obviously making points about the disciples loving each other. He was also talking about what happens when the master leaves. Now, he didn't leave the body for another nine years, or eight, seven, 64, 72, eight years. Um, yet he is quoting here Christ on the night before he left, and <clears throat> quoting him, you know, with obviously great purpose in mind. And I think partly, of course, the Master was leaving us physically. He went, went back to India just a few days later. And it was another nine years. What's going on here? 72. Whew. What happened here? What's my, my mathematics has just gone blue. 64 to 72. Well, it was... Yeah, it was 10 years when he left. Okay, I was confusing 72 tour with 74 when he left. All right, well, that's simple enough. <laughs> May all the mysteries be solved that easily. Uh, he, uh, uh, yeah, it was whatever it was anyway, nine years later when he got to uh, America again. And it was, you know, during that time, um, it was a very difficult time in many ways for the Sangha. And a lot of things happened, including tremendous explosion of the work. This was the period when it occurred, when initiates began to come in in large numbers. And uh, it did occur to me later that um, Master was talking <coughs> in reference to that. But I think, you know, I think that he was, on this night, he was talking about his master, how he had come to him, and the adventures that he had had on the way, and a lot of things in connection with that. And I think that he was giving us, in his grace, a signpost, you could say, or a pointer, or a map even, of that what would happen when he really did leave the body. Because what is Christ saying in these sections of Master Quotes? He's talking about the Comforter. And the Comforter 
In English, in the King James Version, it's, the word is comforter. It translates the Greek parakletos, which doesn't really mean comforter. It has it sort of a secondary meaning. But most modern translations use advocate. Okay? The, the parakletos, the God within, and that's what it is is the God within. In Christian theology, this has been specifically identified as the Holy Spirit. Okay, but what is what is that? In, in connection with the path, the God within is that part of the master power which is localized within us, which is, in fact, not different than the soul of our soul. And when we go far enough within, we find it. But the point is that it's always there and available to us. Initiation makes that possible. Sometimes people who have not been initiated can also contact the God within them because um, they are open, they are receptive, or because they are moving in that direction anyway. But initiation makes this possible. This is what meant when he said, you know, the the spirit of truth has been given to you. The world knows it not, but ye know it. It dwells with you and is in fact in you. And you will find that. Jesus says that in this particular thing. Now the point about an advocate, an advocate is like a defense attorney. Okay? An advocate takes our point of view. He is with us. And this is how Really, I think in my life and my time with the masters, I've, you know, I've thought of them in many different ways. I've experienced them in many different ways. But it does seem to me that the most lasting, the real breakthrough occurred when I first realized that the master was my best friend. You know, that he really was there for me. He cared about me in the same way that my grandmother cared about me. Okay, my grandmother, when I was a little kid, my grandmother was the adult whom I was most closely connected with. And she was, she was a great big woman and very powerful, very matriarchal. And she was very, very loving to her grandchildren. And we could do no wrong for her. You, know, you could say she spoiled us silly. But that was the way she loved us unconditionally, even though she was a stern and could be very tough person to other people. But for us, she was absolutely there for us. When I first became a vegetarian um, and went to the family for Christmas first time, I was really scared. You know, this was uh, Christmas 1958, excuse me, 57, right? Christmas 1957, and um, it was at my aunt's house that year, and my grandmother was there, and um, I, I knew that I had to, nobody knew it, nobody knew that I was a vegetarian. I, I had done it since Thanksgiving, I had made up my mind and become, become one. And I went into the house and I thought and, and I wondered how I was going to do it. And then my grandmother came and said, well, Billy, 
because my family always called me Billy. Uh, do you want, uh, you know, white or dark meat like that? And I said, well, Nana, um, the fact is that I don't eat meat anymore. I'm a vegetarian now. And she just looked at me blankly and she said, well, there are plenty of vegetables. And she went off and uh, I don't know, I don't think she told anyone else, but we were sitting around the table. My uncle was uh, carving for the plates and all and she came to my plate and she didn't even give me a chance to say anything. She just said, give him, just give him vegetables. And the fact that she took my side <laughs> a small thing but I still remember it as a huge thing to me the fact that she took my side meant that nobody dared say a word and it was like the whole family just caved in as far as my vegetarianism went there was not a word was ever said then or later by any of them That's what an advocate is. That's what the master power within us, that is how he functions with us. He sees it from our point of view. He takes our side. It's not that he lets us get away with destructive stuff, but he, as I mentioned last night, he continually uses whatever destructive stuff there is. He twists it around so that it is to our advantage. Somehow we can learn from it. He knows what we have to do, and he... He knows what we have to do, and he... Um, works it so that we do it. But he... You know, it's our happiness that he has in mind. It's very important to remember this because there is a there can be the path can be demanding and people can be in frames of mind where it seems like it's this tremendously ascetic, very um, you know you give up everything you care about and uh, do this very difficult thing. In my experience, it's not like that at all, although I do remember thinking like this sometimes, um, back a ways. This is not how the Master sees it from our point of view. Sanchi says in a, a talk that I always read at weddings, you know, he is happy in our happiness. Our Father is not happy when we are unhappy. He is happy in our happiness. He is our real father. And that's how the comforter or the advocate, that's how he works, you see. He works for our happiness. And yeah, things happen that are not happiness giving and they make us unhappy. But if we have access, if we can reach the comforter, we will be comforted. You know, if we can reach the Advocate, he will take our part for us. He will do it anyway. The comfort is there. The advocacy is there. But if we are not able to feel it or receive it, then we wonder, where is the Master? And 
everyone knows I've been through a lot of things in my life where I've made that particular mistake. Anyway, the comforter is there, the advocate is there for our use. You know, this is how the Master functions for us. He is ours. He will do what has to be done for us. What he asks of us in return, love one another. And Master says, there we are wanting, I tell you. The pity is we don't love. Love one another. We don't have the physical form of the Master with us right now, but we have each other. And we can relate to each other the way we would relate to the Master if he were here. Because within each of us is that advocate, that comforter, the spirit of truth, the Master power, the radiant form of the Master within, however we want to characterize it. Each one of us has it. And as the Master was able to relate to us, by seeing that, and he always related to us in the light of that which he could see within us. So if we can adopt his perspective. You know, there's a story in the Bible in which Moses asks God if he can see him face to face. And God said no. No one can do that, but I'll show you my backside. And it's in the book of Exodus. And uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, Sinai, and he, he's in a crevice-like. And it says that God, indeed, comes before him, and <coughs> Moses sees him from behind. He sees his backside. And, you know, you wonder, what on earth can that story mean? You know, what does it mean, the backside of God? What's going on here? And a, a rabbi whom I knew, who was uh, very versed in the esoteric Jewish tradition, the Kabbalah, explained to me that this is explained in the Kabbalah in this way, that when Moses saw God from behind, he looked over his shoulder. He saw the universe, in other words, from the perspective of God. And that really is seeing God. If we see from God's perspective, we are seeing God in a realist sense. That is what happens when we love each other, when we see the God within each other. We are seeing ourselves, each other, in the same way that the Master saw us. And in that way, we are seeing Him. And this, it, it is so important that we grasp this point. I do, I mean, I, initiates do love each other. And I'm not, um, you know, pointing finger at any individual or any specific thing. I have no knowledge of anything like that. But I know that in general, it is very easy to, to overlook this point, to downplay the importance of it at a given moment, especially when someone is irritating us or acting in a forgetful way. 
There is another story that Master tells. Actually, Sanchi also tells a story, um, which I'd like to read from the same book, different talk. Godhood, Master Kripal says, Godhood is the birthright of every human being. Fortunately, we have that birthright. It is the grace of God. And the grace of God has further descended in that we have some desire, some yearning for God. It is to achieve Him, to find Him, that we have cared to join any school of thought or religion. It is possible through love alone to become God, I would say. The lover and the beloved both become one. Christ said, I and my Father are one. And St. Paul said, it is I, not now I, but it is Christ that lives in me. This is what is meant by the word Gurumukh. Master is God in man, and a lover of the Master becomes a Gurumukh. He becomes the Guru, a God-man in man. This is the ultimate feat of love, and this is the easiest way. I remember a story that has just struck me. Lord Rama went into exile for 14 years. He went to the wilderness where many other yogis were living. There was one lady there of a very low caste. She was a Bhilni, actually. A Bhil, B-H-I-L, is very low caste in India, basically untouchable. One of the forest tribes out of the system. She heard that Lord Rama was coming into exile into the wilderness, and what did she do? She thought Rama will be coming, and he may be barefooted so that the thorns might prick his feet. So she simply cleared the way of all thorns. And then she thought in the heart of her heart, when he comes, what shall I offer him? In the wilderness there is no food to eat, but there are berries everywhere. She began to pluck berries and taste them. Those that were sweet she put in her pocket. So she kept all those tasted berries with her. Each of the yogis who was living there thought that perhaps he was the greatest of the yogis and that Lord Rama would be coming to his cottage. Mind that this I-hood, I know better, I am better than all these others, is the last weakness that leaves a man, even the so-called masters. But where did Rama go? When he went to the wilderness, he met the lady who had collected the berries. And what did he do? He, she offered him those berries that were tasted, and he ate them. Love knows no law. Love is above all. The yogis living there had been doing penances for hundreds of years. Then he went to them, and they came up to him and asked, Will you kindly grace our cottage? There was a pond of water where they lived that was full of small insects. There was no other source of water, and they asked Lord Rama if he would just clean the pond of all dirt and insects by his grace, by putting his feet into the water. He said, No, I think you are the greatest of the yogis. Why don't you put in your feet, for they must be better able to clear up the pond. They did, and the water remained the same. Then they forced him. Kindly put your feet into the water and all insects will go. He said, all right. 
It's up to you. He also put his feet into the pond, but the insects were still there. Lord Rama had to demonstrate the greatness of love. True love does not know any show, mind that. He said, I think it would be best if you call that Bhilmi and let her put her feet into the water. Then she came and put her feet into the water, and the pond was cleared. These are instances to show that love is a great miracle. God is love. Through love only you become one with God. You can become one with him whom you love. As you think, so you become. Now there are a lot of, again, on many points in that story, um, it seems to be the overriding point is that Shivri, which was her name, the Bilni, was easily overlooked. She was the person who wasn't really there. Sanchi uh, has told a story also in which he, by the way, identifies with Shivri. Um, he, had, he had the most amazing way of telling these stories and then at the end drawing a parallel which I would never have thought of in a million years between him and himself and the person in the story. Um, when he told the story of the of King Pipa and Ravidas and the washerman's daughter, uh, he always identified with the washerman's daughter who had gone within by accident, okay, by by sucking the shirt that she didn't know what what it was all about, but it had Ravidas's nectar in it, and, uh, and he would say that that was he was like that. He had. A mistake was made, sort of, and he had gone up. It was really something like that. And here, um, he would say that, um, you know, plenty of people surrounded Master Kripal Singh, but that uh, when he came to Rajasthan, he, he, spent, he spent time with Sanchi in the same way that Lord Rama spent time with Shivri. And as, and as miraculously, the, the implication is there. So that's the point is that Shivri was easily overlooked. She wasn't liked. Master Kripal uses that term. She was disliked by the yogis, probably because she was a woman, probably because she was of low caste. She was very dark-skinned also, Master pointed out at one point. And because she was, as a low caste or outcast person, she was totally ignorant of Hindu ritual law, which of course absolutely prohibited a lower caste person from even touching, even casting their shadow on food that is going to be eaten by a higher caste person. And that's the, I mean, from our point of view, uh, you know, tasting the berries is kind of risky behavior. I mean, Lord knows what she's got, you know, or might have, but it doesn't seem like a sin to us. But in Hindu ritual law, this was an absolute no-no. And in the stage version of the Ramayana, where Master, Master Kripal sent a group of us in October 69 um, in to see it, that particular version, and I was lucky enough to be sitting next to the princess, Kuku, and she translated the whole thing, and, and those of us who were right around her could hear it. Um, at this point, when, when Shivri offers the, um, the eaten berries to Lord Rama, Rama's brother Lakshman, who is 
with him and is a much more orthodox Hindu than Rama is, can't believe it. He's standing on the stage. He sees Shivri offering the berries. He sees that they're eaten by her, but half eaten by her. And he expects Rama to repudiate them with disgust, which is what he would do. But Rama instead accepts them, begins to eat them, and, and Lakshman is totally blown away. And he turns around, he faces the audience with a look of total disgust, folds his hands over his thing, you know, I have nothing to do with this, this is not me. No, that's him. It's his idea, like that. And you see what Master means, where there is love, there is no law. Rama was able to pick up on Shivri's love, and that overrode the, all the legal problems that she was theoretically causing. The other thing is the yogis, because they overlooked her, they thought in terms of themselves and Lord Rama. Rama wanted to teach them, you know, that where they weren't looking was where it was. and. Uh, I don't know why his feet did not clear the pond, but he obviously wanted to show the yogis something that could not be done any other way. And it was um, very important for them to see that Shivri's feet could clear the pond. It was generally considered that a holy person um, was able to clear up a contaminated or uh, polluted um, uh, pond stagnant pond-like thing could be cleared up. This was a thought, anyway. So, also, the, the uh, you know, this business I know better is the last weakness that leaves even the so-called masters. I, I remember my first trip to India. Judith and I were there in 1965. And um, it was a World Religions Conference, and there were a lot of yogis and holy men, sadhus, Muslim imams. Um, there were Christian clergy, too, from the West as well as the East. A lot of people were there. And um, at the end of the conference, Master had a big tea party at the ashram for all the delegates. And Judith and I were invited. We were technically delegates, we, we, I don't know what we were delegates of, but anyway, he, he did that for us, so we were, I was 20, I was 30 and Judith was 28, so we were, we were moving in pretty heady company, <laughs> and um, there was, there were a group of yogis I had noticed over the conference, uh, they'd been around a lot. And one of them was a, a guy who shaved his head, he wore saffron, and his name was Surya Dave. And uh, he had strange eyes, and I found him very... I didn't trust him. But he seemed... He, he was certainly had power. I felt that he had a lot of power. Anyway, I... I um, we were standing on the lawn at Sawanashram, and... Uh, all of a sudden, Surya Dave is not very far away from us. He erupts in anger. I, I don't know what happened. I never did notice what caused the anger, but he is so angry. He is like he's like a volcano there, and people are moving away from him and, and backing off. And 
you know, this this eruption of of really it's like he was really foaming at the mouth. I mean that's a phrase that is used, but he was really doing it. And I it was something to see. I've never seen such anger ever before or since as he showed that day. And this this tremendous titanic outburst of temper. Master comes over he walks over, he doesn't hurry. He walks over very calmly. He takes, puts one hand on Sukhdev's back, and with the other one he takes, puts it on his face like this. And then he just goes right down, like this, right down the front of him, down to his waist. And as he did that, it's like all the anger drained out. You could almost see it coming out like a faucet, like a, like a big faucet was opened up. When he got down to the to his waist, Sukhdev was calm. And Master hugged him and was very loving to him and sent him off. And Judith and I were standing there, we were just we were just astonished and to see the whole thing. I mean it was such a powerful exhibition of of everything. Anyway, the next day, though, I had questions about how Sukhdev could lose his temper like that in the first place. And I asked Master, why, um, it seemed to me that he had, that he did possess some power. Why then would he lose his temper so badly, fall so greatly, if he had achieved something? And Master said that as long, he said, ego is the last thing to go. And as long as ego is there, any power that you achieve can be put to the service of the ego and thus increase the trap. And this is the big secret, you know, about why, how people can seem to be very powerful, very holy, very impressive and yet they can still fall very badly. And why Master does not want sometimes us to progress faster than we can handle. Because if at any point we begin to acquire, get the same kind of attitude, we begin to acquire power in the same way, um, and it goes to the service of that which we are trying to get beyond, it actually strengthens that. You see, it makes his job and ours that much harder. So it's it's an important thing. It's an important point to know that this this is the last thing to go, and until it goes, anything that we achieve can um, work against us. So we have to rise past that first, and that's the point of love. You see, because love is the thing that transcends the ego, not power, not even meditation, if the meditation is not primarily an act of love. It's love that, that deals head-on with the sense of I-hood, with the sense of separation, with the sense of superiority, and whatever. And that is why it is so important that we love not only God, not only the master, but each other.
as the Bible says, if we do not love our brother or sister whom we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? If we say we love God and we don't love our brother or sister, we're a liar. It's very clear. So that is that is what the Masters have left us with, I would say. You know, we, we can't always tell uh, where other people are at, who is coming to the path, who is open to the Master, who is receptive to the Master. We can sometimes have a sense of it, but we can't always tell. But if we develop his perspective, we would be able to. Uh, but he let me walk with him every night. At this, in this particular time. And uh, on the last night of all, a woman came up to him and said she apologized very much for having missed the whole program. She said that she and her husband had been away and they were um, uh, really uh, interested to attend and they really wanted to meet him and to hear what he had to say and so forth and she apologized for that and then she said could she attend the meditation the following morning and uh, she's not initiated obviously and Sanchi said well uh, what will you do if you attend the meditation and she explained to him she had some practice she had been taught and he said alright if you, if you can do something you can come and we walked away and as we walked, he said to me, that woman will never get initiated in this lifetime. It's not written on her forehead. And I was astonished. I said, but she seems so interested and so humble and polite and like that. He said, she, all those things she may be, but she's not going to be initiated in this lifetime. And just then we saw another person, a young woman, whom I had noticed many times on the walks, had been very negative to Sanchi, had uh, not greeted him, had looked at him very suspiciously, and uh, she crossed our path and again paid no attention to him whatsoever. It was like he was nothing. And I said, all right, what about her? Is it written on her? So we went to South America. Yeah, actually, we came to Texas, as a matter of fact. Um, and Colorado before that and then on to South America and back to St. Bonnie at the end and when we got back to St. Bonnie in August 77 we got out of the car and there was an enormous line Darshan line going down the road to Master's house and um, we start Sanchi starts down the line greeting everybody and we got to about oh I don't know 10 or 12 people down the line and he stops dead. There is that girl that we had seen in the negative one that we had seen in California standing there in Darshan line with her hands folded, very sweet and humble. He said, you see, Russell? You see what I told you? There she is. And I said, yes, I see. And she was initiated the next initiation. 
So it was a great lesson to me in speaking of perspectives and seeing things the way the Master sees them. But there is, I, I think, if we love each other, we can we can pick up on this. You know, we can learn to see in each other that which the Master sees in us. And it's, this is a huge thing that he is leaving us, this, this gift of each other, we could say. If you like, you, we can think of that our brothers and sisters are what we have to love. You know, that's what they're, they're given to us as a great gift to treasure, to cherish, to hold in the utmost esteem, to love and to serve. And this is what we are supposed to do with each other. This is what the Master does with us. We are to do with each other the way He does with us. And that's, I think, of all the things that He has left us, I think that that is maybe the most important and the most helpful too. Because I would be willing to bet a very great deal that you would go very far and perhaps even discover the next master in the process, the more we can treat each other that way. Because who knows, Shivri, Shivri was a master. It's very clear, you know. Who knows whether anyone ever noticed her or not because they were so busy assuming things about themselves. So we don't want to do that with anybody. I want to play that tape. Um, Greg, you have that set up. Yeah, this is the, let me just say something before. Um, this concludes the talk that we began last night. In this, in this part, Sanchi begins by telling the story of Swamiji Maharaj and the villager who used to come to him once a month for darshan. And this is a famous story in India. Uh, and I knew it very well when, when Sanchi told it. Uh, he tells it in such a way that if you don't know the story and you don't know its significance, it might not be clear as to who is going to leave. Swamiji tells him, tells the villager that uh, he won't get this opportunity again, so he should sit and have darshan in its abundance, something like that. Um, it's not absolutely clear from the way Sanchi tells it that it is the master who is leaving. You might think that it's the villager who is leaving and that uh, it's for his sake. But I knew that it wasn't the villager. I knew that it was the master. And I somehow managed to close my mind to the implications. This, this was an absolutely wide open, bright red warning signal that I am going. And some people got it. And some people didn't. I was talking with Kieran last night um, from Calgary, now living in Houston, who was in that group. And she got it absolutely. I mean, she told me it was, she turned to somebody and said, this is it. You know, this, this is it. He's going. And um, I refused to react that way. I could not do it. So I think the Master left that open, you know. But the point is he knew he knew exactly what was going on. He was totally on top of it. And he was letting, if we were up to it, he was letting us know that this was going to happen. But not in such a way as to send, you know, 
hysterical alarm bells and so forth, but rather to let us know that whether he comes or goes, he is he's in charge of things. Okay, let's let's hear the tape. ਕਰਪਾਲ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਮਿਲਣ ਦਾ ਮੌਕਾ ਦਿੰਦੇ ਹੈ ਭਜਨ ਸਿਮਰਨ ਕਰਨ ਦਾ ਮੌਕਾ ਦਿੰਦੇ ਹੈ ਇਹ ਦੀ ਕਦਰ ਕਰੋ ਪਿਆਰਿਓ ਇਸ ਸਰੂਪ ਨੂੰ ਆਪਦੇ ਅੰਦਰ ਬਿਠਾ ਲਓ ਇਦੋਂ ਵੱਧ ਚੰਗਾ ਮੌਕਾ ਸੁਹਾਵਣਾ ਮੌਕਾ ਫੇਰ ਨਹੀਂ ਮਿਲੇਗਾ ਜੋ ਖੁੱਲੇ ਦਿਲ ਨਾਲ ਪ੍ਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਸਾਵਣ ਕਰਪਾਲ ਨੇ ਤੁਹਾਨੂੰ ਸਭ ਨੂੰ ਦਿੱਤਾ ਹੈ देयर वाज अ डियर वन ऑफ स्वामी जी महाराज हु यूज्ड टू गो टू हैव हिज दर्शन वंस एवरी मंथ वंस व्हेन हिज टाइम केम नियर Swami ji maharaj told him that dear one you should have the darshan of the master in abundance and dwell this form of the master within you because next month i will not be able to meet you so it was his grace that he made him realize that he should have the darshan of the master <coughs> so dear ones in the same way this is also the grace of lord savan and kripal that he gives us so many opportunities to meet with each other again and again he is bringing you here again and again and again he is making me meet you and again and again he is giving us the opportunities to do the meditation to do the bhajan and simran we will not get this blessed opportunities again we will not get such grace again so whatever time we have got we should always appreciate it appreciate these trips appreciate this opportunity and dwell the form of the master within and do the bhajan and simran wholeheartedly pan hindustan di shadkan da pata hi hai phir khash karke jis ilake ch main reh reha hai utthon di shadkan da vi pata hi hai main kis tarah e budha sharir leke tuhade kole nirswarth seva karan vaste auna hai edi qadar karo meri ehi aasha hai ਕਿ ਇਹ ਕਿਵੇਂ ਨਾ ਕਿਵੇਂ ਪੁਲੜ ਆਤਮਾ ਆਪਦੇ ਘਰ ਨੂੰ ਤੁਰ ਪੈਣ ਆਪਦੇ ਜੀਵਨ ਨੂੰ ਸਵਾਰ ਲੈਣ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਉਨੀ ਖੁਸ਼ੀ ਹੁੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਜ਼ਿੰਦਗੀ ਦੀ ਵੱਧ ਤੋਂ ਵੱਧ ਜਦ ਕੋਈ ਪ੍ਰੇਮੀ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਦਰਸ਼ਨਾਂ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਆ ਕੇ ਆਪਦਾ ਅੱਛਾ ਵਿਆਸ ਦੱਸਦਾ ਹੈ ਅੱਛਾ ਤਜਰਬਾ ਦੱਸਦਾ ਹੈ you know how the roads in india are and especially the place where i live rajasthan the roads are terrible over there but still in this old age carrying this old body you know that with how much difficulty i make this journey i travel from so far and i come here so i appreciate my coming here i appreciate the time which we spent here my wish is only this that you may start walking on the path back to your real home my wish is that you may wake up and you may do your bhajan and simran when the dear ones come and tell me about their experiences in the darshan that gives me the immense pleasure pyare bachcho main zindagi ch kareya hai main jyade bhukh pyas kati hui hai mainu pata hai jis karke mera sharir jyade kamzor hai dear ones i have done the meditation in my life i have suffered a great amount of hunger and thirst i know that 
what is the reason that my body is so much weak pyareo ajay bhi main khana jehda chhaddi rakhya hai meri jagah kat gayi hai khane wali ajay bhi main khana pura nahi kha sakda tusi dekh lo jad koi khana pura nahi kha sakda koi phal fruit pura nahi kha sakda ga malik de sahare hi zindagi chaldi hai since i had given up eating the food for a very long time that is why the place or the food intake has been reduced and still i am not able to eat that much and you know that when you do not when you cannot eat in a food when you cannot eat in a fruit and the other things then the life goes on or the life is supported only on the support of lord almighty mera inna kuch kehn da bhav itna hi hai ki ye sacha rishta hai sab santan ne yahi kaha आपदे गुरु नू ही मेरी माता है तू ही मेरा पिता है भैन है भ्राता है जो असी हर पास प्यार क्ड के एक गुरु न ला लेने हैं प्यारे सानू भी चाहिए है कि बड़े ही वक्त टपा चुके हैं हूँ वक्त है कदर करागण की हूँ सा टाइम नहीं गा जाग के आपका कम बना लो पहला भजन pel deo dujhe kamanu mavro karo the meaning of saying all this is that this relationship <coughs> is very solid it will never break and this is the reason all the masters all the saints have said all the masters have called their master as they have said that you are my mother you are my father you are my, you are my brother you are my friend you are my everything so dear ones this is an unbreakable relationship and you should appreciate this now there is no time to sleep this is the time to wake up so appreciate this time and make use make the best use of this time mera eh matlab na leo ki assi karan de jo karobar hai unna nu hi chhad deiye ja putr tiyan nu assi बुलाईए ही ना या पति पत्नी के रिश्ते असी छाइए नहीं प्यारे अंदरों सन्यास सन्यासी बनो उस जगह पहुँचो जिथे जाके साड़िया सारिया आशा त्रिसना सुन हो जामात्मा ही परमात्मा रह जाता है डो नॉट मिस अंडरस्टैंड माई वर्ड्स डोंट थिंक दैट आई एम सेंग दैट गिव अप योर रिलेशनशिप विथ योर वाइफ और विथ योर हसबेंड और गिव अप योर होम्स और गिव अप योर फैमिलीज I don't mean to say that what I mean to say is that you should become the sannyasis you should become detached from all these things from your within you should do your meditation so much so that you may go within and reach at that place after reaching where all the desires come to an end so ma aasha karda hai sare premiyan nu parmatma kripal da vaak main yaad dilauna chahunda hai ke 100 kam chhad ke satsang vich jao hazar kam chhad ke अभ्यास अंदर बैठ जाओ उन्होंने चर तन खुराक ना दो जिन्ना चर तुम आपकी आत्मा खुराक दे लेंगे तन की खुराक अन्न है आत्मा की खुराक भजन सिमरन है आई वुड लाइक टू रिमाइंड ऑल द रिवर्स द वर्ड्स ऑफ बिलवर्ड लॉर्ड कृपाल ही यूज टू से दैट गिव अप हंड्रेड्स ऑफ इंपॉर्टेंट वर्कस टू अटेंड द सत्संग एंड गिव अप थाउजेंड्स ऑफ इंपॉर्टेंट वर्कस एंड सेट फॉर द मेडिटेशन and he also used to say that do not feed your body until you have fed your soul the food for our body is the food which we eat but the food for our soul is the meditation ha bhai main aap di sab premiyan di wapsi yatra di shubhkamna karda hai main aasha karda hai aap raaji khushi apne parivaran vich ja ke mera bhi unna nu pyar deyo mainu utne hi pyare hai jitne tusi pyare ho 
ਆਪੋ ਆਪਣੇ ਕਾਰੋਬਾਰ ਜਾ ਕੇ ਜੋ ਛੱਡ ਕੇ ਆਏ ਹੋ ਉਹ ਵੀ ਕਰੋ ਔਰ ਆਪਣਾ ਭਜਨ ਸਿਮਰਨ ਵੀ ਰੋਜ਼ ਰੋਜ਼ ਕਰੋ ਡੈਰੀ ਜ਼ਰੂਰ ਰੱਖੋ ਆਈ ਵੀ ਡੈਰੀ ਬਾਰੇ ਮੈਂ ਦੱਸਦਾ ਹੁੰਨਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਪਿਆਰੇ ਡੈਰੀ ਇਹਨੂੰ ਰਸਮ ਔਰ ਰਵਾਜ਼ ਨਾ ਬਣਾਓ ਵੀ ਰੋਜ਼ ਰੋਜ਼ ਉਹੀ ਗਲਤੀਆਂ ਹੁੰਦੀਆਂ ਜਾਣ ਮੈਂ ਦੱਸਦਾ ਹੁੰਨਾ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਪਿਆਰਿਓ ਜੋ ਗਲਤੀ ਅੱਜ ਹੋ ਗਈ ਉਹ ਫੇਰ ਨਾ ਹੋਵੇ ਇੱਕ ਗਲਤੀ ਹੀ ਜ਼ਿੰਦਗੀ ਨੂੰ ਸਾਰੇ ਨੂੰ ਖੁਸ਼ ਕਰ ਦਿੰਦੀ ਹੈ ਜਿਹੜੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਵਾਰੀ-ਵਾਰੀ ਗਲਤੀਆਂ ਕਰਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਤੁਸੀਂ ਦੇਖ ਲਓ ਕਿੰਨੀ ਖੁਸ਼ਕੀ ਆ ਜਾਏਗੀ ਕਿੰਨੀ ਆਤਮਾ ਤੇ ਮੈਲ ਚੜੇਗੀ ਆਈ ਵਿਸ਼ ਆਲ ਦ ਡੀਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਆਲ ਦ ਬੈਸਟ ਫਾਰ देयर ਰਿਟਰਨ ਜਰਨੀ ਆਈ ਹੋਪ ਐਂਡ ਪ੍ਰੇ ਥੈਟ ਆਲ ਆਫ ਯੂ ਮੇ ਰਿਟਰਨ ਟੂ ਯਰ ਹੋਮਸ ਸੇਫਲੀ ਐਂਡ ਹੈਪੀਲੀ ਵੈਨ ਯੂ ਗੋ ਬੈਕ ਟੂ ਯਰ ਹੋਮਸ ਪਲੀਜ਼ ਕਨਵੇ ਮਾਈ ਮਚ ਮਚ ਲਵ ਟੂ ਦ ਡੀਅਰ ਵਨਸ ਆਲ ਦ ਫੈਮਿਲੀ ਮੈਂਬਰਸ because they are also as dear to me as you are so please convey my love to all the dear ones and all the family members over there and the works the jobs which you had left for coming here i hope that you will get back on those works on those jobs and you will attend to the worldly responsibilities also <coughs> which you have got and along with that i hope that you will do your bhajan and simran regularly and wholeheartedly and will attend the satsang and also you should keep the diary you must keep the diary regarding the diary i always say that you should not make the filling of the diary as a rite and ritual once you have written down a mistake once you have noted down that you have made this fault you have made that mistake you should not repeat that again because as i have often said that one even one sin even one mistake which we make makes our life very dry so if we go and repeat okay now we will give out the prasad <clears throat> everyone can have two bags of prasad one for themselves and one for the fed into a meat grinder instead of a tape recorder and uh i lost the chunk of it but this is what was left out once regarding the diary I always say that you should not make the filling of the diary as a rite and ritual. Once you have written down a mistake, once you have noted down that you have made this fault, you should not repeat that again. Because as I have often said, even one sin, one mistake which we make makes our life very dry. So if you go on repeating the mistakes, if you go on filling up the diary form with all the mistakes, just imagine how much dryness will be created in our within in our soul and how much dirt of the karmas our soul will accumulate so that is why when you fill out the diary whenever you realize that you have made a mistake do not repeat it again make your life pure obviously the master is not referring here to um you know the kind of well i should it's important to clarify this i think too master kripal and people do ask me this um a lot sometimes um you know thoughts that come that we do not invite in that are simply there and we notice that they're there and we don't do anything with them but they're there all the same do they have to count and master kripal used to call those fleeting failures and he said that they should not be counted we can't help them they come but what we can help is what we do about them and if we don't do anything if we simply ignore them they'll die of their own inertia and there's no problem if we if we latch on to them and make something out of them then that that may be a failure 
But the Master is talking here about things more than the usual detrita of garbagey kind of stuff that comes floating in and out of our minds. He's talking about, obviously, when we realize we have done something that is going to hurt others or like that, we are supposed to benefit from that, you know, to profit <coughs> from it, to learn. And it's true, I have observed that, and many of us may have too, that that um, one mistake can make a person's life, can ruin a life, just one. I have heard people say, I was, I was, I was good, you know, I did everything right except I made one mistake. And for that, all this has to happen, and sometimes it does. So this too is Master's protection. You know, if we're thinking in these terms, we are working on this level with Him, then that's a protection for us also. All right, that's the... I do, people, I, I do want to thank you all for inviting me to come and uh, for being such a sweet um, group of people to to be with. Last night before I came over, I heard you singing bhajans and your voices sounded so beautiful to me, so angelic, I would say. It was very sweet to hear. I couldn't, you know, it was, the sound was not perfect, but it was such an effect. And that's, you're very sweet to be around, and I appreciate it a lot. It means a lot to me. So thank you very much. Don't forget the favors of the leader. He protects you. Oh my, tell your soul to meditate on love sometimes. Don't continue your heart in the false impurity. Don't forget the true God in your heart. Oh my, clean your heart so that the Lord may come and reside. With the support of Nam, you were nourished in the womb of the mother. Since you were connected with Nam, you did not dissolve at all. Dear ones, in the court of Lord, the true Nam will protect you. This ocean of worlds seems to be down bottom. One won't find a way without the fairy of the master. Stay in Satsang, because there you hear the truth, day and night. Guru Kirpal, please save Ajay. Give understanding to your servants and attach him to me. <coughs> Let the Nama Guru reside in my heart, for it cuts the noose of birth. Don't forget the favors of the Guru. He protects you. Oh my, tell your soul to meditate on Mom sometime at least. <coughs> Shri Ram, 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 Sh
time, sell your soul to meditate on Nam sometime at least.